Georgina's in the room now. So that's hey, good. Georgina. She can't hear you. Well, uh, you could still tell her I said hi. It's fine. We'll just. Oh, wait. don't worry. This is making it to the cold open of the podcast. Yeah, this is going to be the beginning of it now. I mean, we only just, we literally started recording as you opened the door. I'm really sorry. She's still my It's fine. She can cut it. That's You're fine. Bye. Bye, Georgina. <laughs> I, I am. I'm gonna leave this at the as the beginning. So. <laughs> I think you should like cut it and put it at the end. Like, oh my god, Georgina's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you said it like uh, like Game of Thrones, winter is coming. <laughs> like Georgina is Georgina. coming. Let's talk about films and shit. Hey guys, welcome to Ghost Facing It. I'm your host, Courtney. Uh, and today, my brother is back and he's actually going to help me. He's helping me out because we're talking my favorite movie, which is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, Hello, Lucas. everybody. I am back again. I'm Thank sure you. you missed me. I mean, I everybody. I, I know I always miss you, so I'm sure everybody else did as well. Yeah, but Thank you again for helping me out with this. No problem. It's always fun to talk movies exactly and i mean we do both really love raiders of the lost ark as well which is again always good um so and i said last time i was gonna rue the day that i was gonna have to do the 30 second summary and that day is here today unfortunately <laughs> it was a very soon day it was yeah. it was a lot sooner than i thought it was gonna be but you yeah. know Whatever. it's where it's where we are so lucas uh, you have you have the timer up so just let me know when to start and i will go yeah so you need to try to get as much of the plot boiled down in 30 seconds i'm gonna let okay. you know when you have three seconds left just so you can get your last comments out if it takes you that long okay all right let me know when this. you're ready i'm ready all right three two one go uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, it follows uh, archaeology professor Indiana Jones, who on the side goes to collect rare artifacts and bring them back to put them in the museum. He, uh, uh, a mission from the government, has him to, sets him to go get the Lost Ark of the Covenant, where it reunites him with an ex-flame, Marion Ravenwood. And he has a rival who's working with the Nazis to try and get it. And they end up finding the Ark, and the Nazis end up opening it, and all the Nazis die. Three seconds. As, all, as all Nazis should. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did really like, I did really badly. That was really bad. That was, that was pretty good. I liked your final comments. Um I, I mean um, but really fuck Nazis. <laughs> just by the way. Just um, by the way, just in case anybody was still wondering, they're bad. Yeah, I think, you know, as a as a veteran of the thirty second summary, I'd say that you spent a little bit too long in the beginning setting up the context of Indiana Jones. So I your, did. Future reference, you know. I should I should have consulted with you before I even started. I like you're a pro at this. What do I need to I do? Am. Even though I, is... I did forget I did forget Yoda last time though. So there's you did, that. man. That is like nerve wracking. I'm like shaking a little bit, and I don't even know why. Don't... Like there's no there's nothing life and de or death about this whatsoever. Okay, we, <laughs> should, we should call this the anxiety thirty seconds. <laughs> we should call it the anxiety. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. Just, All right, so uh, let's let's get right into it. Um, I I rewatched this movie last night. I'm freaking love this movie it's great it's the reason i love action movies which i was telling you a little bit earlier and i just it's a fun movie from beginning to end yeah it's pretty pretty insane i think for me personally what i really 
enjoy about indie is the way that it's set up. So I really like the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, how it's like its own little adventure. And I know that Spielberg really wanted to make a Bond movie at the time, and it definitely feels like that. But it's such a perfect way to set up the character. What do you think about that opening set piece? I, it's it's a great opening set piece, and I agree. I like that it's its own little thing, and it does it establishes the rivalry between him and Belloc, uh, who is played by uh, Paul Freeman, who's very uh, he's wonderful in this movie. Um, and I also like I like that we go through when we go into the where the idol is. You know, you go through all the booby traps very slowly, and they set up like where everything is. And then when they end up running out with the idol, like they have to very quickly exit, but you're already, it's shot very well. I mean, obviously Steven Spielberg did this movie. It's shot very well about how you already know the booby traps and everything, but then when they have to exit very quickly, it has that tension with it. And then obviously ends with the boulder uh, coming, the very famous scene with the boulder coming down, but the whole getting the idol sequence. And it, it says a lot about Indy, Indy's character as well, because very, they establish very quickly that he knows what he's doing and he's he's very calm and collected throughout this whole thing. Yeah, I love how they show, like you said, I love how they show it going in and then it, there's already the sense of tension because of all the traps. But then with the added tension of the boulder at the end, it's like escalating always and it just makes it more exciting. And what I really yeah. like is how, uh, as you said, how well shot it is. But I, I really love the, se- the sequence before that when you're introduced to Indy because he's almost introduced as like a villain which yes. is, I think is really strange. Yeah, you don't see his face um, until you uh, one of the one of his guides obviously clicks his gun because he thinks that he's gotten where they're going. And it's funny because everybody that all of his guides either runs away or betrays him at some point because Alfred Molina, Molina is obviously in the sequence and he sticks with Indy until it's time to get out when he has the idol and he turns on Indy fairly quickly as well. Um, yeah, and, uh, well, you know, he got he got spiked, so that's good. He did. Yes, uh, this movie is a little more violent than I remembered, and uh, we'll get to it later, especially with the face melting at the end. But th- there was yeah. a lot of there was a, there was a, a bit of a it was it was kind of gross this opening sequence, especially when you see Alfred Molina like with the spike through. Him. I was like, oh, that's horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty funny thinking that like, we like watched this as children, and yeah. I'm pretty sure we we had like those posters and like the frames of the movie and stuff around our house and stuff. So it's weird. I think I think even like the face melt things on one of the posters that Dad had, if I remember the one that has like the, yeah. the film reels in it. If I remember correctly, I think it has the face yeah. melting in it. So I, de- I definitely remember that, but uh, I don't know. Maybe we made it up. But if we both remember it, you know. But it's just it's strange that like this was such like a huge family blockbuster movie, and how like much it doesn't hold back, which I really like. But it's not well, like yeah. violent for violence' sake. No, it isn't. And obviously, uh, when in '81 when this came out, they only had PG and R. And I, I, I they, the studio originally wanted to rate it R, actually because of the face melting at the end. So they had to do. I mean, like PG-13 didn't exist, and actually, Temple of Doom is the reason that the PG-13 rating comes into play after that. But it's interesting yeah. that they it was either PG or R. So and clearly, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas they wanted this to be something that as a family you could go see and. I mean, it, it is a great action-adventure movie. I actually think this sets the tone for all modern action-adventure movies um, because of the yeah, way it's shot. and Yeah, and I think that's so interesting because it's so clearly modeled after older um, serials and stuff and James Bond, like I said. So it's cool that it's like bringing the tradition on but also adding something new to it. 
Right. I mean, and you, I mean, you look at Steven Spielberg's career, he obviously a lot, anything modern day, a lot of it's influenced by Steven Spielberg. Cause you look at what he did with Close Encounters and what he did with Raiders and then with E.T. and Jurassic Park. I mean, like he really, he knows how to, he really stepped up the filmmaking game, especially with these blockbusters that I think people not always take seriously. And he was able to say, well, you can still have a really great movie that's shot really well, even if it's not like a drama or something like that. So, yeah. yeah. And um, as we were saying before this, it's so weird how like people, some people don't take movies like this seriously, but like it was nominated for like seven or eight Oscars, including one for Steven Spielberg for directing and like best picture. Whereas like today, I don't think a movie like this would get nominated for that. So it shows you how different this was at the time because it wasn't a commonplace thing to have a blockbuster like this be well, so well and, made and exactly well it, it's exactly that i think we have i think now we're not oversaturated with blockbusters but we have so many blockbusters now and i mean you think about it movies movies now come there's one every week right there's something major almost every week there's something major whereas if you look back at the 80s you were going to have like four or five huge movies like this you weren't really gonna have it's not every i mean like this how many I, we've had a lot of blockbusters this year in 2019 and we yeah, still we have technically two to go right because you have frozen coming out and then star wars in december but we've already had a ton we've had a lot of marvel movies this year you know we've had uh terminator just came out you know like you have these big franchises now where everything you know it's not as spaced out so to have a movie like this you know, and where it was one of five huge things coming out that year. I'm sure there's more than that, but you yeah. know what I mean? Well, I don't so, even know if there was. I can't even think of five movies from 1981. Maybe that tells you my uh, limited film knowledge, but... Well, I know that... Well, I did read the... There's a piece of trivia that said that Raiders of the Lost Ark, when it came out in 1981, it was it was the biggest movie of that year, and they said by a wide margin. So, again, I there's not yeah. a lot of 80 movies from 81 that I can think of off the top of my head besides this one, to be honest. I'm sure that I'm sure there's like one or two others that are like huge and we're just not thinking of them right now, but yeah, I mean, we, we need to research this better next time. Uh... <laughs> uh, I was going to say clearly uh, next time uh, we need to get on each other about the research game. Uh, a little bit more. Um, and I do want to talk a little bit about, because we, we have this great opening sequence that it moves very quickly. Um, it sets it, and it sets the booby traps and everything, which always made archaeology seem so exciting. Spoiler alert: archaeology is not that exciting. Uh, it is exciting. <laughs> it's still interesting to learn everything, but I, I did very much want to be an anthropologist and archaeologist because of this movie. And you don't go on digs that often. You don't. You don't. You don't grave rob, basically. You don't. You do, it's correct. He is a little bit of a grave robber, and it's not. It, there's not as you know. There's not as much life and death as I thought there would be, but that's yeah. okay for another time but i do like that we cut immediately to him as indy the professor and obviously you could tell he he is academic and i think that's it's not uh, jarring is the wrong word but it is kind of funny to see him from this cool action hero in this opening like 10 minute sequence and then you know cut to him and he very you could tell he very much likes being a professor as well yeah he they kind of I think if you didn't start the movie with this sequence and you just kept everything else in, you just you'd start thinking that he was a nerd from the beginning. You just because he he acts so like I mean I don't mean nerd in like a derogatory like nerd, but just like in the classic like film like oh that guy's a nerd because like when the student like blinks at him like I love you, he's like uh, uh what yeah. But because right. we have this cool sequence before, it's like ah this dude has many 
many layers. He's like an onion. He is like, like an Shrek. onion. He, yeah. He's uh, Indian Shrek, the two onions of uh, cinema. Two <laughs> onion icons, yeah. Um, and I do like that uh, because obviously this introduces us to Marcus Brody, who actually he doesn't have a ton to do in this movie. He has a lot more to do in Last Crusade, which is the uh, the the other one I considered the really great Indiana Jones movie. Um, but and obviously we get introduced to the two government officials that set them uh, towards the Ark of the Covenant. And I do kind of want to talk a little bit. I actually do want to talk a little bit about Last Crusade as well, because to me, I feel the two Indiana Jones movies that work really well have the Holy Grail and then the Ark of the Covenant, and the two that don't work as well for me are Temple of Doom and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which kind of goes away. I, I feel like it sounds, sounds very small-minded to me that I'm like, I like the stuff that goes towards Christian mythology and the stuff that doesn't <laughs> isn't as great, but I think... I think it you can tell it's something that maybe George Lucas and even uh, Steven Spielberg were a little more comfortable with. I think it's also, yeah, but I think it's also, in this one, you can, it's the arc is the first thing, so it's like, that's fine that it starts there. But I right. think the really good thing about the Holy Grail in Last Crusade is they made it his father's life's work, so it felt more personal, whereas in Temple of Doom, it's like, Indy's almost there randomly, which those sort of stories do work, but that whole film just feels strange and then kingdom of the crystal skull i haven't seen it in years but i know there's like it's sort of like they're trying to trick the audience where like there's a bit of a chase about like oh it might be a religious thing and then at the end it's aliens spoilers so, for kingdom of the crystal skull and that doesn't feel as attached to their characters i think right kingdom of, i actually when raiders finished last night i was like i'm gonna watch kingdom of the crystal skull so i watched it last night because obviously marion is in that one as well and yeah she is it just, it almost, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is a weird thing, because there's parts of it I do really like, and it, uh, but it almost feels like it's too late, if that makes sense. Like, I think it's great, I think it's good to have another Indiana Jones movie, but it feels like they waited too long, in a sense. And I think, like, they kind of, uh, actually, Kate Blanchett's character in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, her, um, her villain's very cartoonish, which I would thought was really weird, especially with uh, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas there. I, I'll have to see who did the screenplay for it. Yeah, um, I don't I know think... off the top of my head, but obviously Lawrence Kasdan did Raiders of the Lost Ark. And the it, it, Belloc is actually really interesting because he's not cartoonish. He's very much, and he even says at one point that he, him and Indy are the same side of, they're, they're different sides of the same coin. And that Indy's kind of one, one move away from being exactly like Belloc, which it's a very great conversation. It's a really good, it's after Marion's death. Um, yeah, in quotation I think, marks. I think the other thing that connects Raiders and Last Crusade is you have characters, um, villains that are like, they have the same interests as Indy, so it makes them seem more like equals and there's a sense of respect there that you don't get with like Mola Ram and um, Spaco, I think her name is. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I think it is. It. It's Spalco or Spaco. It's one of those. It's, it's Spock. Yeah. Spock is the villain of uh, Game of the Crystal Yeah. Star Trek crossover. Exactly. But yeah, I think Belloc, he's interesting because I think at some points he is a bit cartoony, but he's very much based on that serial type of villain where he's like, I'll kill you next time, Jones. And it's like, why don't you kill him this time? But it's still like, you. there's a sense of respect there that the actors convey, which really helps make it seem more dynamic and more than just the 2D bad guy and good guy. Well, yeah, he is, he is, he is kind of cartoon, like you said, like, like you, like you were saying, like those old villains, that's kind of like, you've escaped, but I'll see you next time. But I think yeah. that 
it were it really worked with Raiders of the Lost Ark, and for whatever reason, at least for me, for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it didn't work as well. No, I think yeah, I think Kate Blanchett's character in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull just she just sort of seems like, from what I remember, because it, it's probably been ten years. She just does things to be the villain. Like, it's like, now we're going to have a sword fight in the middle of the jungle. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't even get me... And then I forgot about the whole monk, swinging through the jungle monkey thing with uh, with Mutt, uh, with Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the thing that happens in this movie. Oh, yes, this makes tons of sense. Although in Temple of Doom, they do go out of a plane on a raft and slide down a mountain. So the series did set a precedent for it. They, they did. They, there's a lot of... There's someone else. Well, and then in this movie... The, the little monkey's like a spy, which I yeah. was like, I I guess has never seemed ridi- a little ridiculous to me. And then I rewatched it last night. And I was like, this is so the monkey's the monkey's actively spying for the Nazis. And then at one point, like the monkey does like the Nazi salute. And I'm just like, wow, yeah, they, yeah no, he he is a I'm sorry, monkey you kind of had, I'm usually not for animal cruelty, but the monkey deserved to die. I'm just yeah, putting he, that he out there. He does bad dates. He just deserved to go out there and die i don't even know how you get a monkey i mean you can train animals pretty well but how do you get a monkey to become a nazi well i did read the trivia for this too i guess they put like a grape at the end of like a like a little fishing reel and they would raise the grape up and that's how they got him to do the nazi salute there's a piece of trivia on it if if anybody's like really interested i mean you know steven spielberg knows what he's doing man i did i don't think uh that would that would fly in modern cinema but at least we uh were able to see it when it could. This movie is very heavy, like fuck Nazis, though. So I feel like they're allowed to do it because they're and and the monkey gets his comeuppance because he is a Nazi. He's a little he Nazi. Gets his, gets his little monkey comeuppance. Comeuppance, yeah. <laughs> and then the guy that did the monkey, no- I thought this was interesting. The guy that did the monkey noises for the monkey in this movie does the uh, noises for a boo in uh, Aladdin. So that's why they sound so similar because the, so the same guy did the monkey noises. Yeah. Well, I'm glad he. Uh, learned Made how to a be a out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very specific talent, so I'm glad he's found work. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you're good at something, you're good at it. Yeah. Uh so anyway, so the government the two government officials approach Indy because he he knows uh Abner Ravenwood. Uh they're old they were old colleagues who had a falling out over uh Abner's daughter Marion. And so they approach Indy because obviously they need the headpiece to find where the Ark of the Covenant is, which reunites Indy with Marion. And I do want to talk a little bit about Marion um, because I really love Karen Allen and Marion in this movie. Um, and I was telling you a little bit earlier that I used to think that Marion and Indy were so romantic, like when I was younger and stuff like this. And I watched it last night and it's a it's a little problematic, I think <laughs> to say the, the least. Thing, the thing you don't realize when you're a child watching it is that Marion clearly says like I was a child so I assume 16 or 17 maybe 18 but it's like Indy was obviously dating a younger girl and then he was just sort of left and yes. there's a bit of like forceful kissing which is strange well he doesn't he doesn't treat Marion too well in this movie I, I it very much is I feel like a, a, a love-hate relationship there, there's obviously they have this chemistry and there's there's a lot that they both like about each other but i think it's an unhealthy thing that they like at each other if that makes sense yeah i think i don't know i think part of it is just like trying to make tension out of everything so it's like it's a good device and i don't think the movie's trying to be like this is a really good relationship 
but it's right. interesting how when you're a kid and you watch these movies you're like that's the leading man and the leading lady and they're in love and you don't really notice their characters like i when i was a child i didn't notice that they had any tension between them or maybe i did but i wouldn't be like oh yeah she basically hates him yes which i mean like and they do have a very romantic scene um uh, towards the end of the movie and I, it, it is still romantic like even watching it now but if there is that level of I, they don't they seem to kind of tolerate each other but they have this chemistry so like it 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 works for them but again i don't uh, it's not that it doesn't matter that it's for this one movie and then they bring her back for kingdom of the crystal skull yeah um but think... go ahead go ahead i think a lot of what makes that scene so romantic as well is john williams score for it Yes, which I do want to get back to because uh, we talked a little bit about John Williams with Empire Strikes Back, but this score is something completely different, and uh, it's absolutely... I, what I love the whole time, too, is... Oh, well, let's talk about John Williams now. We're here. Um, <laughs> here so, we are. Here we are. Uh, you hear hints of Indy's theme uh, throughout the whole movie, and it doesn't, it doesn't become the full-blown Raiders theme that we know until he goes after the truck that has the Ark of the Covenant in it, and it, and it works really well because you get... It's almost like... He is Indiana Jones, but he becomes this full-fledged action-adventure hero, Indiana Jones, when he goes to go get the Ark of the Covenant and goes after it and has, you know what I mean? So, like, yeah. it's an interesting score. And I think also the way that we said that John Williams was really able to capture wonder in the uh, Empire Strikes Back score, he really captures, like, the action-adventure feel of this whole movie. Like, everything, every little score, it has that tension in it, but it also has this, like, excitement, like, something cool is about to happen. Yeah, it's definitely just so, like, iconic, and I think what I really like about John Williams' um, scores for films is that he's able to make them sound so, like, classical and timeless, but they also are so new, so, and they're so distinct as well. So even though Marion and Indy's theme is similar to Han and Leia's theme. You can tell the difference between them as soon as one of them is played. So it's like exactly. he's showing love the same way, but you it's still different and it's still specific, which I really like. I actually, I kind of want to go back and look at all of the love themes because obviously like, like with the prequel trilogies, uh, uh, trilogies, prequel trilogy, just one, uh, you, you have Across the Stars, which is Padme and Anakin's theme. So I and I'm sure there's other love themes that George Luke uh, that John Williams has done um, throughout. So I wonder there is that similarity to it, but it is very distinct. Like you could tell Indian Marianne's theme from Han and Leia's theme. Yeah, which I I think it just it's not that the film relies on the score ever, but it just enhances it so much and makes it so much more meaningful than it would be like with just a normal score, I guess. I think, I mean, to be honest, every single, if you look at every single movie that John Williams has scored, I think it does, I think most of the movie works because of his score. I think if you, like, you, like, you know, you look at Jaws or Star Wars or Harry Potter or, or Indiana Jones, I think if you take away that score, you take away something very huge from those movies. Yeah, definitely. And, I yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I think we should just turn this into a John Williams uh, podcast. I was about to say, I kind of want to do like a John Williams series because I kind of want to talk about Jaws, <laughs> which is another fucking fantastic film. It's really great. And the score in that's amazing. I'm always yeah. happy to talk about Harry Potter. Uh, you know what I mean? But I think we should just yeah. do like a John Williams series. I, and, I will say, honestly, I, think, uh, I think Jaws is my favorite Steven Spielberg movie. So, you know, if you ever need another episode. 
Uh, Jaws is pretty fantastic. It's one of those that I was scared to watch as a kid, and then I watched it as a teenager, and I was like, this is a great movie. I mean, and it's it's the movie that created the blockbuster, right? Like, Jaws yeah. is the reason that we have... Actually, Jaws is very relevant to this, because Jaws is the reason that we have movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, you, Steven Spielberg has shifted cinema so much, if you really look at it. And, you know... Yeah. Obviously, I'm not saying anything new. Everybody knows this, but I mean, really, he he has affected what what cinema is, and he's also affected what a blockbuster is. Because it's not just they're not like just oh straight up just like oh we have cool action set pieces. There's nothing else that's needed. Whereas they have stories in them, and they're important stories, and you know they're they're interesting stories, and they're characters that that are deeper than just like oh big strong action man. You know, like yeah, and it's. It's uh, to quote uh, what Martin Scorsese said recently about the Marvel films. It's it, they're movies that seem more about two humans like trying to connect with each other. But what I also find interesting about that whole line of thinking is that we all have this idea of like a very generic, straightforward action movie. And when I think about it, and when I actually think about the ones that I enjoy and the ones that are really popular, no action movies really like that. And I think you get that from the Spielberg line of things of trying to make it from that human perspective. Yes. Well, especially like you look at like close encounters of the, of the third kind. I mean, that's, that's one of those movies that it, it's a sci-fi movie, but it's a, it's a very human sci-fi movie. And yeah, well, that's not, that's not even an action movie really. It's, no. it's about connection and about like music, which is really interesting, which I never, we, I don't think we ever watched that as children. No, we really didn't. Actually, I don't I this is actually one of those movies. I don't think I've seen it the whole way through. I've seen parts of it, but I, I can't recall ever watching it the whole way through, which is obviously I need to watch it. But it is one of those we never you're right, we never really did watch that as kids. I mean, we watched a lot of Star Wars, a lot of Indiana Jones, but that's not one and mom and dad both like close encounters because I've had conversations with them about it. So it's kind of interesting that that wasn't one that they because they showed us all the movies they loved. So it's yeah. interesting that that wasn't a movie that they should. I wonder why they didn't show it to us. That's kind of interesting. I think it was just like Spielberg has so many movies that we watched that it was like that's not one of his more flashy ones, maybe. I mean it's right. it's a really good movie, but I think it's just sometimes it flies under the radar because he's just had so many. It's right. the same for me with Jaws because I don't know if I used to be scared of Jaws because like obviously when I was a kid I was scared of a bunch of movies, like I was scared of Gollum and Lord of the Rings. Um right. but I didn't really watch Jaws until I was maybe a couple of years ago, it's so maybe like 18, but I like I just loved it so much and there's something that he captures. And so it's so weird that it's like one person's able to make so many good movies. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, I mean, again, me and you aren't saying anything new. Like obviously Spielberg is this great filmmaker, but he really has affected, I mean, he really has, he's affected cinema in a way that even, it's so funny because those Marvel movies, they're, they're, those can't exist without Steven Spielberg's career, right? Because, no. and you well, look and, at... Go ahead. And George Lucas's as well. Like, I think... Oh, agreed. Very much agreed. Because of what... Because of how people view George Lucas of like, oh, he ruined Star Wars, etc., etc. I think people forget how big he was then too. Obviously, I wasn't alive then, but I was like, studied this era of cinema and stuff and how like influential he was on that. So I think bringing it back to Indiana Jones, what's so interesting is you have these two, um, they were called the Blockbuster Boys, um, making one film, and of course it's going to be this really interesting, 
cool idea but shot really well and i think that's what you get from lucas and spielberg so what we have in the modern blockbuster era is lucas's high concept ideas and then spielberg's craft right i don't know if you agree with that I completely agree with it. I mean, even like any any filmmaker you talk to today, like even James Cameron, like a lot of the movies that he was doing, like a lot of the technology he has is because of George Lucas and Star Wars. So like, you know, like James Cameron, he'll, he, he'd still have a career because James Cameron is James Cameron, but it's almost like they, they've, they've so much affected yeah. the last 20, 30 years of directors and writers as well that, you know, it, it's yeah. it's insane. It's insane to think that these two people had such an effect on everything. Yeah, and that at the time, um, like film critics and stuff were like saying like, oh, they're ruining cinema and stuff right. like that. And it's not cinema, which is very interesting because people like Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese were their friends and their colleagues. And now they're saying that about the modern blockbuster. So it'll be interesting to see how modern blockbuster Marvel movies are looked back on then. Not Again, because last time I said the ending to Empire Strikes Back was a down note like Infinity War, and you said I was comparing them jokingly. I'm not saying they're the same thing, and obviously I think Indiana Jones and Star Wars are better movies than a lot of Marvel movies. But it'll be no, interesting I mean, to see how history looks back on them, if it's if similar look, to how we look back on them now. Like, I think that, like, uh, just going off the Marvel movies, some that I think are going to be looked back on really well. I think the first Iron Man... I think Black Panther and I think the first Guardians of the Galaxy and even the second Guardians of the Galaxy. I think, like, yeah. I mean, I've said it a lot, but I think the two Guardians of the Galaxy movies are probably, for me, the, the best movies that Marvel's have made all around just because they're well made, and, but they're just so like, they are about, back to that idea of like humans connecting, they're about emotions and psychology and stuff rather than, well, see, I was going to say like, rather than just like, action set pieces and stuff but i don't think any of the marvel movies are just about that no but like if you look at movies like the fast and furious franchise and like the mission impossible movies although the mission impossible movies have a little bit more story and depth to them um but like they those those like like you look at those two franchises they are about set pieces right like because if you look at especially uh well they but they both are but like the mission impossible movies like you can kind of find a distinct set piece out of each mission impossible movie that's come out right and that's yeah. like the big thing for that one movie. There's other things that really make those movies work because the Mission Impossible movies really do work, but they, they, they are about set pieces, right? And going from one set yeah. piece to another. I think what makes Mission Impossible work is that it's about seeing what how, how much crazy stuff Tom Cruise can do, but they still put in the time to make a story about that. And it's interesting how they get there, but also the character of Ethan Hunt has become Tom Cruise. So it's like, because and so much of it is based around the action set pieces because he's doing it and that's what his character does it's not that his character and i think what's important about mission impossible's action which isn't clear in other people's action is that ethan hunt's barely making it through all this stuff and you know that tom cruise is barely making it through all of it so it makes him so much more iconic as a character and so much more interesting to watch right which actually a lot of what ethan hunt goes through actually we can bring this back to ragers a little bit because i, I know i'm jumping around a lot of the plot but um <laughs> later when he has when they've escaped the will of souls and they're trying to stop the plane um from from being able to take off there is that great sequence of him having to fight the mechanic and they just they throw fisticuffs like and it is one where indy is very much indy's very much outmatched and it is that like he barely wins that fight, 
but yeah, he wins he just, it. He he wins it, but I think that's great that you brought it back to that because I think that's the start of like an action hero who isn't just an action hero. He's just getting by. Like even in the beginning opening sequence we were talking about, he struggles to climb up a rope and a vine and he almost falls into a pit and stuff. And I think Harrison Ford really, because he did a lot of his own stunts too, not that I'm saying having stunt doubles is bad, but I think having him actually doing it and having him put in the acting of like, oh, I'm just barely doing this makes him so much more relatable and it makes it more exciting to watch them succeed. Right. And actually, Indy is actually a very interesting kind of take on masculinity, right? Because obviously he's this action hero and he's able to fight and stuff like that. But he also is vulnerable. Like, uh, obviously, like he doesn't like snakes. And like when he sees when and when they open the wall of snows, uh, souls, which is obviously oh. it's my yeah, snows, um, like Dr. Seuss now, um, <laughs> where they open the wall of souls and it's just like this snake pit, which A is my fucking nightmare. That uh, this, that it's very ironic. This is my favorite movie because I hate snakes and that whole scene just makes me uncomfortable the whole time. But he Maybe sees it really- and he. Oh, I relate to Indy. Oh, I relate. Yes, that that is one of those things. But like when he sees it, he doesn't try to pretend to be manly about it and say, "Oh, I could take on that snake." He's very much like snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? And he it, he has that vulnerability. He, he's just an interesting take on masculinity because he's not like typical masculine action hero. He is someone that's able to say, "I don't like snakes. I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to pretend like I'm okay with doing this." Yeah, I if think that makes it, does that make sense? Yeah, it sort of goes back to what George Lucas wanted when he originally wrote it, which was having this, these human characters and these very like weird adventures. So it's sort of making them out of their depth and making them vulnerable makes the story seem more fantastic as well. And I think you definitely get that with Indy. So it's sort of like, I know Flash Gordon was an influence on Star Wars and I'm sure it was an influence on George Lucas's like everything as a child. It's like he's in such a weird situation. And for Indy, even though he's an expert in this field, he's going up against things that he won't always want to go up against. So I think it's just a great thing that they put in the screenplay as well to put him against his own fear, which is always a great thing in screenwriting because you see how they confront it. Right. He, he, Indy's such a super interesting character. I mean, like, and I, obviously I'm very biased because I really love this movie and I, I, I've always loved Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's it's always been one of my favorite go-to movies, but he, he just is. He's such an interesting character. Actually, all the characters in this movie are fairly interesting um, because Marion's, Marion's an interesting character and she's, she's an interesting heroine because she doesn't always rely on Indy because she's put in these situations where she obviously has to kind of take care of herself because all uh, it's all the men in Marion's life have failed her, right? In some sort of sense, because even her father kind of left her stranded in Nepal because she was there because because of that. I and mean, even she did, like, you get to own a bar though, like that'd be pretty cool. Oh man, her introduction is so badass when she like drinks that guy under the table and then it's just <laughs> kind of like, yeah, she, uh, I, I I absolutely love Marion and Karen Allen's really great in. In, in this film and it, it, it watching Kingdom of the Crystal Skull it was good to see Marion again but at the same time it's just it's not the same the Raiders Marion is really a Marion that's just super interesting yeah the um, main thing I remember from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is like it's like Marion and Indy but they're like old Marion and Indy so they're already acting like they're married which worked when they were younger because it's like oh, the, oh will they won't they but now it's like oh you're, you're gonna get you're gonna get married at the end of the movie aren't you and then and, and then it happens and you're like oh yeah well there we are oh great great and it's like and again I don't really remember much of that movie but I do really think 
Karen Allen brought so much to this movie. So it's interesting thinking about how the franchise went on because obviously because Spielberg saw this as his bond, he wanted there to be a different quote unquote bond girl in each film. So she wasn't brought back for the sequel slash prequel. That was Temple of Doom. So I wonder what the franchise would have been like if they stayed on with Marianne. Well, and they also didn't bring her back because I think her and Harrison Ford did not like each other. And obviously if you can only have one back, I mean, it's it's called Indiana Jones, not Marion Ravenwood. But yeah, I, I do agree because it would be interesting. Actually, we kind of I think we can kind of see what it would be like because of the the Brendan Fraser Rachel Vice Mummy movies because they do they so because you have the Mummy and the Mummy Returns they bring they they could very much have just brought Rick O'Connell back but they brought Evie back and they brought them back ten years later and they're actually very happily married and they're able to find a conflict without breaking them up because I feel like with Indiana Jones, if let's say they had brought Marion back, I think they would have broken them up again, right? Because that sometimes is like what people think, like, oh, that's the main conflict. But like you look at those two mummy movies and you're able uh, that's what I think maybe like would have happened had they brought Marion back. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean I think the mummy movies are a good example of like what's been influenced by Indiana Jones, but also it's changed because it's more fantastical and obviously based on Egyptian and then Chinese mythology. But I think Evie and Rick in The Mummy have like a more, I don't know if it's more complex, but it feels different to the relationship think, that Andy and Marion have. I think it is more complex and there's more respect there, right? I think I think that Indy and Marion have, I think, again, there's stuff they kind of like, there's, there's respect with Evie and Rick, whereas I think there's a little respect between Indy and Marion, but at the same time, like, they, it's like a begrudging respect, which almost, not not that it feels, I don't want to say it feels false, because there obviously is that. I, I'm not articulating this very well, but there's I very much there, a difference there. Yeah, I think one of the things about Raiders of the Lost Ark that makes it work so well is that, and this is going to sound weird, but it's because it's so like simple and streamlined. So it's like, there's enough of their relationship there that you get the bigger picture of it, and you get their dynamic immediately, but it's never really deeply dived into. No, I, I do agree with that. I think that's a good way to do it. Whereas the Mummy movies, very much when they dive emotionally into Rick and Evie's relationship, that's what makes those movies kind of adds that layer to it. Yeah, that's what makes them, I think that's what makes them more memorable, the romantic aspects for the Mummy movies. But Indiana Jones isn't really about that at all. No, and it doesn't need to be, which is fine because no. it's its own thing. Yeah. I, I mean, Indian Indian Marion's dynamic is is very interesting and very fascinating. But it's but Marion as her own character too. She does really well. Um, obviously, she gets she ends up dying in quotation marks. But then she has a, her scene with Belloc is also really interesting because no matter what, she always makes sure she has the upper hand so she doesn't get backed into a corner. And even like in the bar, when the, when the Nazis come to the bar to try and get the headpiece, she's willing to, she's willing to do whatever she needs to survive. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't need yeah. to, to have Indy's problems as well as her own. Like she's not that she's selfish, but she's very much like, I've, no one's ever really there for me, so I have to do this myself, and she will do it herself, if yeah. that makes sense. I mean, and what makes a really good character is to have character flaws, and one of her character flaws is she really trusts that monkey who's obviously a Nazi. Well, I mean, to be, uh, I kind of understand that because yeah, very obviously not, that, that monkey's He's obviously very, no good from the very beginning. But I mean, yeah. the monkey's kind of cute. I, I, I'd, probably, I'd probably fake die because of a monkey, too. That's probably my fate at some point. 
I don't trust. I don't trust monkeys. I'm gonna go out and say it because of this movie, probably. <laughs> this movie was like, you know, like people are like, Lucas, why don't you trust monkeys? And you're like, Have you seen have Raiders you seen of the Lost Ark? Lost Ark? <laughs> Just exactly. heads up. It was kind of weird how we said it the exact same way as well, but that, that is that's Lucas. You know what? Sometimes we're on the same wave, same wavelength. God, I cannot talk today. Some wavelength. Um, wavelengths. So, because we're talking about why this is your favorite movie, let's talk about your favorite scene. Uh, my favorite scene is the, I, I call it the truck, what truck sequence, which is where they've just had the plane, the they've just stopped the plane, and Indy has to go and catch up with the truck that has the has the Ark of the Covenant on it, and he goes on a horse, and he's on horseback, and he's racing to go get it, and the theme is like full-on, full-on he's blasting. Fl- he's flipping around the cars and stuff, he's like... Falling he, under it. He is, and then he gets up. He gets he gets on the car, and then you have this really great action sequence on the truck where he gets in, he gets into the car, and then all these Nazis, and he gets the Nazis off, but he gets shot in the arm, and then one Nazi comes in, and then and he goes under the car, which is one of the coolest stunts I think I've ever seen in my life. I, it's 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 practical. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And then he gets back, and he gets it, and that whole sequence is just so great. And honestly, that's what I judge action sequences on. Because yeah, it's, it's really... thrilling, it's thrilling from beginning to end, and it's such a cool uh, and it's it's a good ten minutes. I mean, it's a ten minute action sequence that's absolutely. Uh, I mean, like I just like I got chills when I was watching it last night. Like I had this big ass <laughs> smile on my face right now. I probably look crazy, but it is such a great scene. Yeah, and it's so interesting to watch the behind the scenes of that scene because it's so cool how real all of it is and how. Um, you see Harrison Ford doing it, and how they've they made such like a simple premise of like he's trying to get to the car and whatever, so dynamic and so cool. Well, yeah, and I think I don't think, and uh, someone will probably correct me, but maybe like with like the Sting had come out before that, so maybe with that, I don't think we had seen an action sequence like that before. Like I, think, I can't. Go ahead. I think it's definitely based on stuff like James Bond, but I think taken to this level prob maybe not. Not that not in my experience of watching movies. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, very much, it's a very, and even looking back on now, it's a very modern action scene, right? It's still exciting, it's still thrilling, and there's very few action scenes that I can think of that are as exciting as this one, like even from the past few years. I mean, though, to be honest, and this is because I have a very unironic love for the Fast and Furious movies. The one that comes close to it is the Rio bank chase in Fast Five. That's just as thrilling to me. But there's something about this one because it is very much indie versus all these people. Like there's there's this, it, it's exciting. He's 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 this action hero, and he's very much the action hero in this scenario. And it's a great great scene. And it's always escalating. Thinking it is of, always escalating. Um, modern scenes that it actually tenuously reminds me of actually is the finale of baby driver when baby yes. well not the finale when baby's like going through the city and still getting chased by the police and john ham and all that yes i completely agree with you and uh ba- i mean baby drivers I-, I could do a whole episode on baby driver because i absolutely love that movie but it is it's the practicality of those stunts right because there's very little cg like when you look at baby driver and you look at raiders of the lost ark those stunts i mean they obviously in 81 they didn't have the the effects that they have today but it is just very like it's two guys throwing fists you know and then you have the throwing car fisticuffs. added into the mix fisticuffs i love yeah. fisticuffs i love that yeah. word it's great you, but they yeah, are that's, this, 
this movie is all about <laughs> just calling it fisticuffs. I mean, fisticuffs. It, the, but that's this movie is fisticuffs, right? It really is this bare knuckle, just a guy who you know he ha obviously has the whip and he has the gun, but he really does just kind of have that's all he really has is also his fist. Like in it, yeah. ah, this sequence is just so great. I mean. If you, if I, anybody has a chance to just go and watch the, the, the truck sequence from Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's absolutely phenomenal. I will say, I think it leads to my favorite moment from Raiders of the Lost Ark as well, which is when Indy chooses not to blow up the Ark of the Covenant, even though it's about to be opened by a bunch of Nazis. I love that moment where he can't force himself to do it. I mean, and actually that scene... You know, like, especially after all Indy's been through and because Belloc's really great in that scene because he has the line that says, Indy, we're just passing through history. But then he points to the argument and he goes, but this, this is history. And he really does call to that part of Indy that is very, you can tell they are, this is something that that's their similarity. And that's, they both really respect the arc, right? So Indy, yeah. I mean, as much as he wants to get Marion back. He, 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 even she understands, I think, because her father was, because of who her father was. I think she can't really fault him for that, right? I mean, it is this yeah, huge piece. Think, you know, we were yeah. talking about flaws earlier. I think it's so interesting that one of the main moments where Indy actually has a choice to do something, he's not reacting to something, he has a choice, and he chooses not to save the day because of his curiosity and because of his profession and that intense desire as you say right because i mean because and belloc says that he's like you want to see this open as much as i do and he's absolutely correct i mean like this is something that especially we got that from all the indies talked about the arc and he is he's very it's when he talks about it it is that it's that giddy excitement of this is this is like the white whale, right? Like finding the Ark of the Covenant is such this this huge thing that he, like you said, he can't make he can't choose to save the day because he he that's his flaw. That's the human part of him that says I I am curious. I do want to see this. I've been working so long for this yeah. to get to this point, and he does. And uh, that's why Belloc's such an interesting. I really love that line from Belloc when he's like, "We're passing through history, but this this is history." Yeah, it's a really great, I think that's probably my favorite scene from the movie, but I also really love that scene because I may be remembering wrong, but I think there's like a fly like running around on part of Belloc's face for part of it, and he's like acting very serious, but there's like a bug just crawling around on his face. So, and then for years, there is, because you see the fly and then all of a sudden it disappears, so a lot of people for years assume that Paul Freeman had accidentally like breathed in and swallowed the fly, but what actually happened is uh, Steven Spielberg thought it'd be funny to cut a few reels to make the fly just disappear and think that. So that's what happened is that it ended up flying off, but Steven Spielberg cut it in a way to make it look like he had accidentally breathed in the fly, which I think is yeah. just absolutely hilarious. Yeah. And I think it's moments like that where you hear that stuff behind the scene when that really captures why this movie is so timeless is because it just seems to be have been made with a lot of fun in mind rather than trying to make a really like, Serious, serious amazing thing yeah. it was more like let's have fun let's make a movie that we want to see well yeah i mean that's that's always been uh steven spielberg and george lucas's mindset right like that they, i think they've said that before where they make movies that they want to see and that they would love and on and raiders of the lost ark it, it is it's an absolute blast from beginning to end and it is it's a fun action adventure romp that's just like oh. you can romp 
you can tell that they've just they've they've had such a great time making this movie. And you can tell that you can tell that Harrison Ford really likes this character. Like because he's he's always willing to come back for Indiana Jones. He never yeah, said no to it. Where he was reluctant to come back as Han Solo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what when they got when they got Harrison Ford back for Force Awakens, my first thing was, Oh, Han dies in this movie. And yeah, I was like, like and someone oh, was like, What do you mean? And I was like, the they the only way that they got Harrison Ford back was if they promised that they killed him, and that's exactly what JJ Abrams did. It'll be it'll be funny if he comes back and rises Skywalker. Anyone can be a Force ghost now. I'm pretty sure Harrison Ford's in Rise of Skywalker. What you actually think so? I don't think he. Is. I don't think he. I don't think he's a Force ghost. I think he's going to be some sort of. Uh, he. I don't think he's a Force ghost, but I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure everybody's back in Rise of Skywalker. Just to get on a little Rise of Skywalker tangent really quickly. Maybe I. I just really don't want there to be like, a, like huge like flashback scene or something. I don't think it'll be flashback. If anything, I think it'll be probably like a manifestation of like like Ben has a nightmare or something like that, and Han happens to be there or something like you know what I mean, like or under like duress or something like that. That's what I think. We'll see. It's it's hard to tell with uh, just from trailers, isn't it? Also, I'm pretty sure Hayden Christensen's back. I'm just gonna put that out there. <laughs> we'll see, just, won't we? Just putting out. I'm I'm a hundred percent positive you and McGregor's in this movie. I mean, I'm pretty sure you said that about Last Jedi too, though. Maybe we got Yoda 20, though. I, 20, I stand 20, behind 20. that. Someone, someone major was in it. We got Yoda. I stand behind that. Uh, you got Lando coming back in this one. Lobot will probably be there. Obviously, if, Lobot, if Lobot's, I mean, you know, we already talked a little bit about Lobot last time. If Lobot's not in this movie, it's really a travesty. You know, I don't think anyone gives a shit about Lobot. Mom does. Be nice. I can't. <laughs> It's impossible. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Mom was really right. funny because I talked to her, and I know we had said at some point we're like, "Mom's not even listening this far." Like the next day, I talked to her, and she was like, "I totally listened to the whole thing, you know." <laughs> I told you. Um. Anyways, back to the <laughs> back, back to what we're actually talking about. Yeah. But yeah, that I mean that the the truck sequence. It, it's always been my favorite. It's exciting. It's uh, it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great. Uh, the opening sequence is, I think, almost just as great. Like we were talking about earlier, the way they set it up, and it's a very smart way to set it up because you do get a lot of sense of you get a lot of in you get a sense of Indy's character almost right away, right? He's calm and collected. He's there to he's there to get you know he's the obtainer of rare antiquities. Someone says that, and you kind of get that character of him very quickly. And we actually we. That opening scene is really great because it does establish Indy like later when he's in the map room and he's just writing stuff down and stuff like that. You trust that what Indy's doing is correct, right? Whereas like I think they don't have to like sit down and explain, well, this symbol means this and this means this, which I think well, some action movies today would do. Whereas there, they're just like, you you trust that Indy's doing the correct thing and you're just kind of like, yeah, no, if Indy's doing it, that's what's right. Well, I find it funny that you say that because I was actually thinking about this earlier. When I had rewatched it a few months ago, is that the Ark of the Covenant scene with the two government officials is so expositional, but it's so vital to the plot that everyone understands the context. But it's just funny how it plays out because it's just like the government officials are asking questions, Indy and Marcus answer it, and it's like if this was in a modern modern blockbuster, I think people would criticize that scene. But for some reason, it works well because of their jobs as professors, so it adds to their character more than just like oh, it's cool that you know this, but why don't these other people know it? Or it's, as this is a very specific piece of knowledge. So I think that's an example right. of 
how you can get away with exposition well and how they do do that in this film. But there's also other things that are more mysterious. So I think it's a good balance. Yeah, I think I think they do balance it really well um, because I mean you're right that 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 scene with the two government officials in the beginning is it is very exposition heavy, but they do it. it it's very it's very natural, right? It's a very like they're not just like in your face like exposition. Like it's very natural. Like you know, I really like Indy has that line where he's like, "Didn't you guys ever go to Sunday school?" Like it's a, it, that that I think is like the epitome of that scene where it's like you kind of know about it, but they're going a little deeper in it into it so they're adding to your knowledge of something you kind of have an awareness of already and with uh that line specifically you're like andy's kind of a dick <laughs> he, he's a little bit of a dick but i do i do like the way I, harrison ford's delivery of that line is absolutely fantastic I'm like didn't you guys ever go to sunday school like it's it's a very yeah. great delivery and it is it's fun because it adds this moment of of fun to this like like otherwise what could be kind of a boring scene right because it is exposition heavy but it's not because it's super interesting and yeah, he has a yeah. he has a he because I watched it last night. I, I I remember this. He has this big book that he has to like unlock the handles of, which I thought was really funny. Like, what kind of book is that? They have to like unlock like the the side of it to get into it. Um, it's a very important archaeological tome, Courtney. Got it. Obviously, clearly, I don't have books like that. But I thought that was really funny because I think I just said a lot of like, why is he unlocking that fucking book? Like, <laughs> like why is this so big that he's like unlocking it? It's just very funny to me. Yeah. Um, I do really quickly because I feel like we're nearing the end of our conversation, but I do really want to talk about uh, Egypt and Cairo particularly because I think we spend a majority of time of this movie in Cairo. We don't really, as much as he location hops, we don't spend a significant amount of time in any of the other locations really, just Cairo. And yeah, I mean, we spend a little bit of time in Nepal, but I mean, Cairo is the main. yeah. Yeah. Um, and I want to talk about Sala a little bit because I do love Sala, and I'm glad they brought they brought him and Brody back for Last Crusade. But um, I really, uh, obviously, I've been obsessed with Egypt forever, and is why I really love those mummy move those first two mummy movies. Um, but I think, yeah, just I really don't have much to say about it. I'm just like excited that I it think, takes place in Cairo because I love yeah. Egypt. <laughs> I think what it really captures is the it really portrays Cairo as like the romantic action adventure sort of place because when you watch movies from 30s 40s and 50s that take place in Egypt or other similar countries they have a very specific feeling to them and I think Raiders does a great job of recapturing that and making it seem very romantic and like this place that there is this ancient history there and it's very exciting but also dangerous and so I right. think that's what's great about making a movie that's set in the past because you can make things feel nostalgic and classical while also leaning on what's been used in other movies before. Well, right. Cause like, I mean, I think the most obvious comparison is obviously Casablanca takes place in uh, Morocco. Morocco and, and you, you can kind of tell obviously Raiders of the Lost Ark is very influenced by that movie, but there is that, like, that's what makes it feel more actiony adventure, especially like modern, like looking back on it from a modern perspective is you're like, Oh, it takes place in Cairo. Like, and you're right, it is that, like, it has been romanticized, and it does make it, it taking place in the past, like, you're like, that's what makes it so great, like, and it's not just in the United States, which is nice, too, like, we're actually going global, and we're actually going to a place that people are really only familiar with, kind of, because of the movies, and yeah. because of old action movies, kind of like you were saying. Yeah, and I think 
like the movie that came to mind for me because I just watched it also takes place in Morocco, I think, is um, Hitchcock's The Man Who Knew Too Much with Doris Day and James Stewart. And I know that was, yeah. a big, Hitchcock was a big influence on Spielberg. So you have this scene in The Man Who Knew Too Much where their son gets kidnapped and there's like this market and stuff. And it was so weird watching that movie because it felt so familiar to me, but I'd never seen it before. But it was like, this is like the Raiders marketplace. And I'm not saying Egypt and Morocco are the same place, but having that old Hollywood idea of faraway land in quote unquote Africa is just interesting right. to see. And it no, feels familiar to audiences. I do agree though. Like it it is very much the Hollywood perspective of that place. And it I mean it is exciting because they do like because you really think about it, we don't have marketplaces like that in the United States or where you are in the UK. Like there's not a marketplace like that. Like you guys have market days and stuff over there, but to have that where the marketplace is really where the center of all things happen, at least from the Hollywood perspective. And to be able to do that, because it, it wouldn't feel as realistic if it was in the States, right? Because we'd be like, well, that's yeah, not something that we have here. I think having action scenes in a marketplace, no matter what the film is, but Raiders shows it off really well, is it just makes everything so chaotic because you have so many people there and there's all these amazing stalls to run and hide through and stuff. And I know that right. doesn't really happen in Raiders and Lost Ark, but it's interesting to see the crowds like, pile up and obviously when the guy's juggling the sword and he just shoots him it's great to have that and them like running off into the crowds and stuff so i oh i mean, I, that, I think having that distinct location which is just like a hollywood classic of like oh it's the african marketplace is part of what makes rays of the lost ark feel so classical rather than something from the 80s right and well and more to your point like especially when they have marion in the basket and he turns the corner where he was just following the one basket and everybody is carrying, like like you said, that chaos of everybody's now carrying these baskets. He has to go over and tip over each basket and oh, he never ends up finding her ba the correct one. I mean, as I said, Indy's kind of a dick. He, he doesn't care about other market goers, does he? Just like No, he's just kind of basket. tipping stuff over. Yeah. Again, he's he's taking stuff from indigenous peoples, like especially like when he takes the idol from the beginning. Like he was going to take that back to the museum. Yeah, he can't I mean, do what... that. What did Belloc do with it, hmm? Uh, I'm pretty sure Belloc sold it. Yeah, he probably sold it, didn't he? But he wasn't working for Hitler at the time, so who did he sell it to? That's true. You know, yeah, Belloc's, Belloc's pretty quick to join the Nazis. I think that... I mean, sorry. there are means to an end, right? Yeah. I think that's another thing that makes Belloc more interesting, is that he's not just a Nazi bad guy. He's someone that you know is very like slimy, and he'll use people as a means to an end. But there's something likable about him because he'll use anyone as a mean to an end. But right. maybe that's well, he does it with to get away with him being on the Nazi side. Yeah, I mean it is. I mean, and obviously you do kind of have the the Nazi bad guy. I can't think of his name, and I can't think of the actor either. The one that that has the really great uh, gag, the hanger gag, where he pulls it out yeah. and it looks like a chain, and then he makes it into a hanger. I can't think of. Oh wow, this is bad on me. I can't think of his name or the actor's name. Because you have him as like the, and then you have also the like the Nazi commander who's like the typical Nazi, right? Yeah, and Belloc really is. That. No, and he's he's kind of annoying. Yeah, I I did, I think because you've forgotten the name, it's made me forget the name. But I do love that character too, especially when he like burns his hand and stuff. It's so weird how like he's just such like a he just looks like a bad guy and he doesn't have any real like character, but he's just left such an impression. 
He's just like, well, he's such, he, he's such a, he is, he's, he's very much the cartoonish bad guy of that, but it absolutely worked. Like, again, I think that's another, like, they, they really made it work. And I think a part of it is also Florence Kasdan's script. So I think that, like, they, they do have those, like, pulpy, cartoony bad guys, but they absolutely work. And I'm looking up. It was Ronald Lacey played him, and it's Tote. T-O-H-T. I'm, I'm, I probably would have never known that name. I'm sorry, Tote. But I mean, Ronald Lacey is absolutely fantastic because he is—he's like—he's not—he's—he's he's a very—he's—he's he's silly but not silly. Does that make sense? Yeah, and as you say, like the the hanger gag is probably his best scene. It's just so—it's just so funny. It's a, it is. It's a really well done. It's a. It's it's very. I mean, you know, it's a really well done little short scene because both uh, Belloc and Marion tense up, and then it's really funny when when they realize it's a hanger. They both like have this sigh of relief, and they're like, oh, like, and it's 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 a great little scene. It just is. It's yeah. very well done. Um, yeah. I mean, this uh, everything about this movie I really love, and it has a lot of iconic lines you know obviously and a lot of iconic scenes what, what's your favorite action scene just really random sorry uh, well I think it's like I said at the beginning of this um, I think my favorite sequence is the beginning sequence which it is part of the movie but I just like it because it's so self-contained and it tells you so much about the characters whereas everything right. else is about the arc I love and as we talked about, I love that scenes escalating and de-escalating tension and like showing how Indy reacts to different traps, like how resourceful he is with the whip and then also judging the weight of things and stuff. And you could see that he's more cautious than anything else. But I also just love how the scene ends with him jumping into the plane and them flying off. And he's like, why is there a snake in the plane? Yeah. <laughs> of, course, of course, there needs to be a snake in the plane for no reason. Well, I mean, it does. Well, uh, yeah, actually, to be honest, that doesn't really have a reason to be there. I guess to establish he doesn't like snakes, but yeah, I mean, and then when I, he opens up the I wall of no souls and he's like, "Oh, fucking snakes!" Yeah, it's just um, I, I just love that sequence. As that could be like its own short film, you know what I mean? That's such a good film sequence. No, it could be. I think it's one of like two opening sequences that I think are perfect opening sequences in all the movies I've seen. If I'm being well, honest, what's the um, other one? The other one is Scream, the first Scream. I, I absolutely love that opening sequence because actually it's very similar to this one in that it escalates at an appropriate, like it is, it esca the way it escalates is very natural and appropriate. And it, it's its own little self-contained thing that has some bearing, obviously has bearing on the movie, but it, that could also be its own short story, right? Yeah, like it could be its own little short film. What's great about both of them is that they completely set the tone for the entire franchise without being yes. about the main plot of the franchise or about that one specific film which i think is just great right. because it's part of good storytelling if you can tell something short and quick and it's sort of like you've already seen this mini version of the story and if you like that you know you're going to like the bigger version of it which is the entire movie or the entire franchise right and actually both uh set how the opening sequences of all the preceding films are uh uh done right yeah i'm trying to think how um Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls starts actually. It starts with uh, Indy's been obviously he because well, I watched it last night that he's um, he's been kidnapped by the Russians and Kate Blanchett's there and they go to the warehouse and it has some oh, yeah. and they find the alien from Area Fifty One and it has some like it, it is still that kind of self contained because there's the warehouse chase and then you know oh and then it gets nuked. Remember he goes in the oh, fridge and gets nuked. nuked. 
nuke in the fridge, which I, again, I was watching it and I was like, oh, oh, geez, guys, what, what are we doing? But it does, it, but, but it is similar to other Indiana Jones movies because it does have that self-contained kind of opening sequence. Even Temple of Doom does. I actually, actually, as much as I'm not a huge fan of Temple of Doom, I really love its opening sequence. I, I think I, it's a fantastic I really opening sequence. sequence. I just love that um, Spielberg wanted to have the like Bugsy Berkeley like dance number, so they just opened the film with that. Well, and also like you could tell that that's something that he's always wanted to do, and he really wanted to do, and it and his his like enjoyment and joy kind of goes over, and that, I think that's what makes part of that scene so great, because it's like Steven Spielberg got to do what he wanted, and he had a great time doing it, and I do like the anything goes part of that opening yeah. sequence. And you know um, it's called Club Obi One, which you know we we love our references, don't we? We do. That that's that one's very just in your face, though. That one's not even that one's not even trying to be smart. It's just like, and next door is Club Yoda. Yeah, exactly. And you're just like, all right, we 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 got it. Cool. Thank you. Um, I do really quickly uh, want to talk about uh, Indy's whip, right? Because I think it's the very iconic weapon that Indiana Jones has. <laughs> But it's very much a Swiss Army whip, especially in this movie. Um, and I, I do love it because it's not—it's obviously not a weapon a lot of people choose, which makes it so fun. But it's—it's it, it's a little ridiculous, but it's a fun ridiculous, and you're just like, that's yeah. kind of cool. And it—it does—it does make the character stand out. Yeah, I mean, what's good about a whip is that it's a weapon, but it's also a utility. But I think movie whips are very different to real whips. I mean, you owned a bull whip from Indiana Jones for a while, and. Were you able to pull off his stunts? You know what? As soon as I mentioned the whip, I was like, please, Lucas, do not bring up the fact that I had the whip. And, and you, made a, you, made a, you made an Indiana Jones short film. We, I, no, we, Lucas, we almost went this whole podcast without talking about that. <laughs> right, I'm sure, I, I wonder if Rob still has the video of that. I should put that as like a promotional thing. Like, hey, do you love Raiders of the Lost Ark? and want to see a cheap knockoff? Watch this video. I don't think that would make this podcast get any more viewers i think it might do the opposite thing i'd be like oh oh god oh no oh my oh my god what is she doing but, the, the, yes. the problem is courtney you sort of look very similar so people might think it's from now that i i so not only do i look like harrison ford i look like current day harrison ford <laughs> no I was is that what you're you, saying i was saying you made this like when you oh were like 15, yeah, like when just, I was sixteen look, and I looked exactly the same. You have the same face. I don't. For whatever reason, I thought you were saying I looked like Harrison Ford, and I was like, yeah. okay. Twenty people. Wow. Yeah, I could tell you were confused. <laughs> yeah, twenty people might think Listen. that you're Harrison Ford. Actually, that might get you, you more, more listeners. <laughs> Why is Harrison Ford doing this shitty little video called "Good Night, the Garbera"? That's so weird. <laughs> um. But yeah, so the um, so yes, going back to the original point, I did own a whip because I really love Indiana Jones, and I, I like obviously like uh, Lucas. Do you remember we would play with it in the driveway in Texas? Do you remember that? Yeah. I I don't think I ever played with it because I was scared of getting hit. I was a very afraid child. Uh, I will. I'm not gonna lie to you. I uh, hit myself a bunch of times, and I actually ended up like at, at one point I had like a bunch of cuts on my hand that I was using to, my right hand because I'm right handed I was using to like throw the whip because it would come sometimes it would snap back and it yeah. would just I mean it, it hurts I mean and, it, you know. it, it's, it's a whip so yes I, I will it is say a whip. this is gonna this is gonna annoy you but my favorite movie whip is actually uh Catwoman's and Batman Returns I just I, I really love the way that one's used um, you think that's better than Indiana Jones's whip are you serious I do I think she I don't. I mean, I, I'm not saying like 
it's used better, but I just like it more thematically. I mean, we're lucky that we can't see each other. We're just talking because I can't even look at you right now. I'm I'm lucky that I'm not within whipping range of you. (laughs) (laughs) Joke's on you. I still own it. Next time I see you. It's all right. I own a lasso. I'll just fight you back. I'm not really worried about it. You don't really have great aims, so I think I'll be okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do like I I just I just want to talk about the whip. Obviously, it's iconic; like it's part of his character. So it's and obviously the hat, the hat that never falls off, which I think is great. Like even in the truck sequence, and when he's fighting, uh, obviously when he's fighting the mechanic uh, by the plane, the hat never comes off. And I do like that. That's like a character thing that becomes kind of a gag throughout the rest of the series. Yeah, it's it's just amazing how like even in this just this first film you can already tell that the items are iconic in in the film like continuity itself it's already like well he always has the whip he's known for the whip he's the silhouette of the whip and the hat and then obviously right. these things became iconic too which is amazing that that was a successful thing if that makes sense it it is it's really funny especially kind of going back to the discussion we had last week where we were saying that uh, empire strikes back really establishes the character now as we know them Whereas Raiders of the Lost Ark really establishes Indy really quickly, and everything that is iconic about him is from that first film rather than having to be built on by the other three ones that come after. Yeah, it's. I think it's one of the rare cases where a successful franchise in movies isn't really... The tone of it is set immediately in the first one, and everything about the world and the story and the characters is there. And then everything following is more like another adventure in this world rather than we're building it up more but that might lead that might be connected to the fact that it's based on so much classic like those serials classic filmmaking serials so we already know the world we don't need to know that we already know right we already know what type of character this is this is just his specific story well and like you said like steven spielberg always wanted and still wants uh, well i don't know if he wants to make a james bond movie as much now but he always wanted to and it does it does have that james bond feel of it's just a different adventure every time and yeah. I think that re- it works really well. It's, like it doesn't need like an overarching story throughout all four movies, right? It does work really well. Like the, I mean, obviously because it's like the serials, and it works well having its own little thing because, and it makes the movies I think a lot more fun. Even the ones I don't enjoy as much, like it still makes it makes this franchise a lot more enjoyable. That has these these individual ones because I, on any day I can just watch Last Crusade, right? And I don't like I don't feel the need to have caught up the, from the other ones to watch Last Crusade, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Here's a question. If you were going to watch all four Indiana Jones movies in a marathon, which order would you watch them in? Because obviously Temple of Doom actually takes place before Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I, so Raiders of the Lost Ark is very different. Uh, Indiana Jones is very different for me because... I would watch the two I really enjoy, and then I would watch Temple of Doom and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So I'd watch Raiders first, then Last Crusade, and then Temple of Doom and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I kind of watch them in the order that I rank them. It's not like Star Wars, where like like I'm about to do my Star Wars marathon for Rise of Skywalker, obviously. And I think actually this one I'm doing it prequels, original trilogy, new trilogy. So I'm watching it chronologically. So like, but like Indiana Jones, I just I kind of watch. The two I really enjoy, and then if I'm still feeling it, I'll watch Temple of Doom, and then if I'm really still feeling it, I'll watch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I don't know. Yeah. What about you, though? Do we differ on that? I mean, it's, it's sort of the same as you. After I asked the question, I was like, yeah, because it's like it's sort of what you were saying, whereas like 
it's one story per movie. It's not one overarching story. So like, I don't feel like if I'm in the mood to watch Indiana Jones, I need to watch all of them. I'm just like, I'll watch the ones I like, which is usually the first three. I, d- I don't really watch Kingdom of the Christmas Skull just because maybe I should rewatch it. But I'm never really like, oh, I would really like to watch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But if I'm in that mood, I'll probably usually watch Last Crusade. But I do like Raiders of the Lost Ark a lot too. And Temple of so, Doom, to be fair. So, Lucas, but, so I, I feel like with Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, Last Crusade are the two that Pete, like, I think they're arguably the best ones. And they're, they're two of the... The, they're the two ones that like everybody likes. So uh, people people really do enjoy Temple of Doom. I'm not saying Temple of Doom's not good. It's not one I personally enjoy. But do you? Which one do you like better, Last Crusade or Raiders of the Lost Ark? And which one is your favorite? I'm just wondering. Probably I don't know. I think it depends what mood I'm in. But I think if I just want to watch a movie that's really good and that I really enjoy, I'll watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. But if I'm feeling more like emotional i'll watch last crusade because it has such a great emotional connection in it and it's really about reconnecting with a parent figure which is something that i enjoy seeing in media so i think overall i'd probably say like if i had to choose one and i couldn't watch the other one i'd probably watch last crusade which i know is I will... the complete opposite for you well no i i do really enjoy last Crusade. i mean it's very close if I'm being really honest, I really love Raiders Lost Ark, but I also really enjoy Last Crusade. Uh, Last Crusade, just a lot of fun. And especially especially when they get, when Sean Connery enters in, I really love the scene where they're tied up and they accidentally set that whole room on fire. And yeah. um, I just, there's a lot of it that's just, it's a lot of fun. And I kind of, it's a different sort of fun than Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Whereas Raiders of the Lost Ark is very much this action adventure romp that, I'm using romp again. I don't know why is my word of the day, apparently. Um, where where it has a bunch of these like action set pieces, right? Whereas Last Crusade, it still has still has the same feel of Indiana Jones, but it is very much like it's a father and son adventure. It's almost like a like a buddy cop sort of comedy in that sense, or like a buddy cop action. Where it's not because they're not cops, obviously, but it, it is fun. Like and it's it, it's just it's a different sort of fun and it's a very different feel, but it still feels like it belongs in that universe. That yeah, sense. and you have Sean Connery chasing birds, which then crashes a plane. So that's just the best. Which is, I will say, I think Last Crusade has more of my favorite lines in it than Raiders of the Lost Ark, if I'm yeah, being I mean, honest. There's the, there's the classic uh, Junior, which I won't say in my bad Sean Connery accent. I was I was about to say I I I was I almost said it and then but mine's just as bad so I'm not yeah, gonna do it. Yeah, I mean I don't I don't need to put that on the internet. So no, I think we're both smart. We're not gonna do it. But I, I also really like um I can't think of his name, but the the bad guy in Walter Last Crusade cannot. Yes, he has he has my favorite line of that movie when the way that he says uh Germany's just declare war on the Jones boys. Like I absolutely love that line and the way he says it. And it's fun. It's a fun. He's very, he's almost cartoonish as well. But it, again, it's something that kind of works. But honestly, yeah. I could do a whole other episode about Last Crusade because I absolutely love Last Crusade as well. Yeah. But it is that father son dynamic works really well. And you have Sean Connery. Like I mean, you got you got Connery. Like and, and he, what I go ahead. No, go ahead. What I really like about that. Um, film compared to Raiders of the Lost Ark 2 is that in Raiders of the Lost Ark you have Indy not being able to blow up the Ark and then by Last Crusade 
him and his dad are able to leave the Holy Grail to fall down the thing for each other, which I think right. shows Indy's growth and also it just makes it more emotional for me and more cathartic to watch. Right, he's able to he's a, he's finally able to understand like it's okay to let things go. And I really love the way and it's because his, his his dad calls him Indiana instead of Junior, which that's another the way that Sean Connery says Indiana and he's like, let it go. You're right. It's a very emotional scene. It's a very well done scene. Um, yeah. Damn, I need to re I might be rewatching Last Crusade today. Funny. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's it's absolute. I mean, it is. It's a great scene. It, 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 everything about oh, Last Crusade is a lot of fun too. the open. Even the opening sequence of that with River Phoenix is a lot of fun as well. Although yeah. it is one of those things where, like, Indy, a bunch of stuff about Indy happens in that span of 10 minutes. Like, he gets the scar on his chin. He gets his fear of snakes from there. He gets the hat. So it's one of those things that kind of bugs me, in a sense. But at the same time, yeah. really, I, I feel like they do it well enough that it doesn't bother me too much. I don't mind it in that film, but I do feel like it probably inspired a lot of, like, the prequel things where everything needs to be connected and told in, like, 10 minutes. So I'm like... Mm. Uh, cough, like, cough, solo. I was about to say, like, who are your people, Han? Nobody, I'm alone. Ah, Hans Solo. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I think it it did, it did kind of set that precedent, right? So, yeah. and I, I they do do it really well in Last Crusade. It's actually very well balanced, but it is still kind of funny, like that these like like three major things happen. And he uses like the whip for the first time, like you know what I mean. So like all these major things happen in the span of like twenty minutes to him, and you're just like. <laughs> really that's like it's one of those things like you don't really need the origin on that which is a big part of my problem with solo is a lot of stuff that that han is legendary and famous for happens in that span of like two weeks and you're just like oh okay yeah. um i just thought of something it'd be so cool if uh, obviously if river phoenix hadn't tragically died if he played uh young han solo i think he would have been great young han solo i think that would have worked really really well but all, honestly, and, and I really don't want to get into a conversation about Solo, but I liked Alden and Reich, and I thought I he like, was very like good. I'm just thinking, like, it would have been cool to have him play young Indy, then young Solo, then he's... Yes. Next time he's young Deckard. <laughs> right. Well, that, well, and you know they're doing another Indiana Jones movie. Um, I don't know when they're doing it, but it's coming. I'm pretty sure Shy is not coming back, because... Shy is not coming back. Even Spielberg a lot. And I, I'm reluctant to say this because I'm 50-50 on remakes and reboots, right? I think some of them it works really well and some of them it doesn't. At this point, I would rather them just kind of reboot Indiana Jones or make it like a James Bond situation instead of mm. having Harrison Ford comes back as old Indiana Jones. Because I'm, I'm kind like, of like... I, 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 I don't want it to be rebooted like that, but at the same time, like, if you're going to do it. I think I kind of don't want to see any more Indiana Jones movies. I like the ones that we have, and I don't want to see it become something like a big franchise where there's, like, one or two of them coming out every other year. So, and I, I do agree with that because, especially with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, rewatching it and then uh, having, re I, I did actually watch Last Crusade pretty recently. But it ends with them riding off into the sunset, right? Like, it closes out the trilogy fairly well. And I wish that was the last we had seen of it, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it was always intended to be a trilogy. And then I think it's just... Right. Because the fans like it so much, because Harrison Ford likes it, because Steven Spielberg likes it, because George Lucas likes it, they're like, why don't we make another one? But it's also like, you don't need to. Right. 
And yeah, like I said, I'm 50-50. I'd rather them not. Like, if we're going to do it, honestly, if we're going to do another one, just have it be old Harrison Ford, old Indy, and just just end it, and then no more Indiana Jones. Have, like, we have, have the movies Adam we Driver, have. Adam Driver plays his son. He kills him. It's yeah. done. I think that would that would be funny if, like, like he keeps going back to old characters, like, and Adam Driver, like, again, just plays his son and everything. Just plays Adam his Driver son, should just kill him. Harrison Ford and everything and make sure that he kills him and everything. I mean, I'm alright with it. I really love Adam Driver. He can be in whatever he wants. I'm glad you've given him permission. I'm sure he's glad too. I'm sure he does not give a shit whatsoever. And no (laughs) one else does about my opinions on Adam Driver. (laughs) But, (laughs) whatever. But anyway, alright, I think Lucas, I think that is. It. I think we've talked a really long time again. We, t- Lucas, we've we've gone over the hour mark both times. I know. I I think this is setting a dangerous precedent for your podcast. I think it is, and also I think like people are gonna like the other people that I'm eventually gonna talk to. We're gonna be like, I really don't want to talk that much about this movie, and I'm gonna be like, oh, but I really want to. And my my well, brother, my brother did it. Let's talk about Adam Driver playing killing Harrison Ford. I think we're really lucky I don't have an Adam Driver podcast because that could be a thing if I'm being very honest. I I think no. <laughs> <laughs> so somewhere in the world Adam Driver's like someone's annoying me and I don't know why. He can and just, it's he, just... He can, he can feel like a hot prickling sensation in the back of his head like oh some what? <laughs> He's getting like a twitch. I gave yeah. Adam Driver a twitch. But anyway, thank you. So that was Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is my absolute favorite movie of all time. It always has been. I absolutely love it. Um, then Lucas, I know you've always really loved it as well. I know it's one of your favorite movies. Yeah, I I um, really I really enjoy it. Ta-da. It is. It's a it's a fun movie. I think it's an absolute masterclass on action films. I mean, it just everything about it just works really well. All the set pieces fit together really, really just. They, they fit together and they're each something different, which is also really nice. So, yeah, I have a lot of good yeah. things to say about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so that was Raiders of the Lost Ark with my brother, Lucas. Lucas, thank you again. Lucas, did you I, did you want to, in case people want to follow you on Twitter or anything, did you want to give out your Twitter handle or no? I'm, uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not active on Twitter, so no. Goodbye, friend. Yeah, I was going to say, he, he, doesn't really, he doesn't really post anything. Post a lot on Tumblr, though. I don't post on Tumblr. Every once in a while, it'll pop up in my feed. (laughs) I'm like, oh, Lucas is on Tumblr again. Sorry, I'll cut that out. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. All right, well, until next time, thank you guys very much. This has been Ghostface Night, where again, I talk favorite films with my favorite people. So I will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.